This Week in Startups is brought to you by DigitalOcean, providing the easiest cloud platform to deploy, manage, and scale applications. Sign up today and receive a free $100 credit at do.co slash twist. Gusto, easy online payroll, benefits, and HR built for modern small businesses. Get three months free when you run your first payroll at gusto.com slash twist. And Carta, simplify how you manage equity. To get Carta's CapTable software, plus a free 409A valuation, Go to carta.com slash twist. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of This Week in Startups. I'm your host, Jason Calacanis. And today we have a very special episode for you. I'm going to bring in three of the investments I've made over the past four or five years, and I'm going to see how they're doing. Now, what's unique about each of these three uh, founders and their companies is they each went to our accelerator previously known as the Launch Incubator. We now call it Launch Accelerator. Why did we make that change? Well, in the beginning, we were incubating companies that didn't have products in market. And then, uh, now that we've done 10, 11 classes, we're only accepting people who have their product finish and just a little bit of traction. You can go to launchaccelerator.co to see that program. We had four classes this year and about close to 30 people go through it. In 2019, We're going to have seven classes of seven or eight. So we'll have 50 people go through the program. And that 12-week program lets us build a deep and meaningful relationship with founders. We get to know them. We get to know their personalities. We get to know their companies. We get to know their mission. And we introduce them to the world's greatest investors here in Silicon Valley. We also talk to them about growth techniques and how to make their companies. Basically, I know this might sound a little bit cutthroat, We want to give them an unfair advantage and teach them how to make their companies be more attractive to customers and investors. So let me say that again. We want to give our investments an unfair advantage. Uh, Sounds unfair, but this is business. It's not meant to be fair. It's a competition. And we're trying to give a competitive advantage to our Olympians, also known as founders. One of the great Um, innovations of the past 10 years in Silicon Valley has been the concept of angel syndicates pioneered by my friend Naval Ravikant from AngelList. I was the first syndicate on AngelList. And one of the first investments we made, com.com, in fact, it was the first, we bought about 8% of the company for $400,000. That company now is doing publicly, uh, they've said this, $80 million. You may have seen Alex too on this very program. And what a syndicate is, and you can see our syndicate at jasonssyndicate.com. We left AngelList. We run it on our own now. We have our own team of 14 individuals at launch who help us run all the events, the accelerator, and of course, the syndicate. The syndicate has 2,700 members, and over 1,200 of them have made an investment so far. Up to 250 of those individual angel investors across the United States and some outside of the United States each get to put in as little as $1,000, as much as $250,000. And many hands makes for light work. We will typically uh, raise between $250 and $2 million with the syndicate in 2018. When we started, we would raise between, I think the lowest was $175K, and the highest used to be around $500,000. Something magical happened about a year ago. The number of individuals you could have in an SPV, a special purpose vehicle, 
which is a fancy term for an LLC, which is a limited liability corporation. These are corporate structures here in America. If you're from outside of America, your country may have similar ones. And what that is, is is a group of people who've decided to pool their money and invest as a group with a lead. The lead in this case, since it's jasonsyndicate.com, happens to be me, Jason Calacanis. So I pick the company, I invest in the company, and I offer other people in the syndicate, those 2,700 members, if they want to invest in these companies. And they make their own decision both to how much they want to invest and if they want to invest at all. That is magical. Previously, these investors would not have access to Silicon Valley companies and they would invest locally or they might come to Silicon Valley a couple times a year and try to meet a couple people at a demo day. Naval uh, at Angelus deserves all the credit in the world for this fabulous innovation that now we've seen Seed Invest, Republic, Funders Club, Jason Syndicate, many different iterations of the idea that he pioneered. So thanks again to my friend Naval. He taught me really a lot of what I know about syndicates and we're standing on the shoulders of uh, that giant team at Angelus. So thank you to them. If you're an angel investor, I highly recommend you sign up for all the syndicates you can. Go on AngelList. There's a dozen of them there. You probably know some of our friends like Ed Roman, uh, who's over there. He was on um, the Angel podcast. So we have a long history of working with other syndicates to fund in the, fund these great companies. First up is my friend Henry Hu. I met Henry. Welcome back to the program. We've been on a couple times, right? No, first time. Is this the first time you've been yeah. on? Mm-hmm. Have you present? I think maybe we've done episodes where you've been part of the presentations. Um, I think I was only doing like the on stage stuff. Oh, on stage at, at events, lunch. we yeah. may have yeah. Then had those go there. So I met Henry, um, and I'm going to go ahead and guess 2015. Yeah, 2015, mm-hmm. maybe the fall of 2015. You emailed me. Mm-hmm. Tell everybody what the email said. Um, well, I actually I just followed like the format <laughs> that you laid out on your podcast. Huh. I was like, well, might as well do that. <laughs> Um, sent you a video of our of our early prototype, and uh, your response was, "Is this a joke?" <laughs> <laughs> Tell us um, what was in that video. So it was just a video of our of our first gen prototype, and it was making coffee um, at a university in Hong Kong, right. uh, where we were building now, prototypes. Now, in this case, Cafe X, who is the person making the coffee? The robot. A robot, yeah. correct. So yeah. to establish everything, Cafe X is a robotic, robotic coffee, coffee bars. machine, yeah. coffee bars, mm-hmm. and you were in. College at the time, or uh, no? I had already dropped out of college, and we were building our prototypes. Yeah. So, and you were in Hong Kong. Yeah. And I think my response was, "You come to the incubator," mm-hmm. and you did. Yep. And you were in the launch incubator class. Now it's called Accelerate. Back then it was called Incubator. I think you were in the third class. Uh, and fourth, I think. Yeah, yeah. Li three, I think. Yeah. Maybe oh. Li four. Um, and you graduated from the class, and we were back on Angelus back then. I think. We invested a bunch of money, and then AngelList did um, $416,000. Yeah. That was back in uh, March of 2016. In more, uh, maybe July of 2017, the AngelList Syndicate did a million. Then in 2018, Jason Syndicate did a million, and then boom. And later in 2018, we had so much demand that we did $2.2 million from Jason Syndicate. Right. So altogether, you're the largest investment we've made to date, four point. Seven million or so. Mm-hmm. Tell us how is the. Let's do a little quick demo here of, sure. of the company. We'll show everybody. For those of you listening, we'll obviously sportscast it. But we have three locations, correct? Yeah. There's three locations in, in San Francisco. Um, what are we seeing here? This is our version two machine. 
and we have this at One Bush Street uh, in the financial district. Um, so we have two espresso machines inside. We partner with local roasters like Equator, uh, Ritual, Intelligentsia. You can order on site from a kiosk, uh, but more than half of our customers order from a mobile app. Um, so the machine makes uh, three drinks in about a minute, so it's super fast. Um, it waits for the drink waits for you in the machine until you show up to pick it up, um, and then we have three delivery bays where you can, uh, where basically a group of people can pick up their drinks really quickly. Those delivery bays are like we could imagine an automat format yeah. back in the day when mm -hmm. people would put a nickel in, open it up, and take the piece of pie. Yeah. Uh, so, what attracted me to this investment was I just thought to myself, I have been so frustrated over time with um, waiting in line mm -hmm. for coffee. Yeah. I've also been frustrated at airports where I want to get a nice, high quality cup of coffee. And you just basically give up because the wait's going to be 20 minutes and you've got 10 minutes to board your plane. You don't want to risk it. Yep. So what is the value proposition uh, of Cafe X to consumers yep. versus stopping at Blue Bottle, Starbucks, Coffee Bean, uh, and the seemingly never-ending list of high-quality coffee shops here in Silicon Valley? Uh, yeah, it's actually fairly simple. It's basically faster, better, cheaper. Um, so we have quality that's as good as a blue bottle without the 15-minute wait. Um, and our pricing is actually lower than Starbucks. Ah, so faster, better, cheaper. Mm -hmm. it's, the classic, uh, it's the classic Silicon Valley process. We're going to make it faster, better, and cheaper. And obviously it's cheaper because... Um, well, the robot makes the drink, so we have less labor involved. Right. Uh, the labor that we do have is more focused on customer service and telling people about the product, educating them about the menu. Yeah, there's somebody at the machine. Yeah, we have, a, a, quick we have education. a coffee bar specialist um, at, at every location. Yeah. Um, and, um, um, and then also, of course, the machine is only 40 square feet. Um, ah. So, you know, real estate cost is a huge thing for, for coffee shops. How are the four, uh, three locations going? You have one in the Metreon, that was the first, then you have one on Market Street, and then you have the new one on One Bush with the two-point machine. Yeah. How are those locations doing? Uh, so Metreon was our first location. Uh, we opened that January 2017, and we've served, I think, over 100,000 people there now. Um, the Market Street location is right outside of a BART station. We have about 70% daily repeat customers. So there's kind of like a cult following that basically shows up every day. Yeah, they like to save a dollar, and they like to save right. 10 minutes. It adds up day after day. Yep. Um, and, uh, and then One Bush is our newest location. We also have about 50% repeat customers every day there. And we added a, a nitro, uh, basically a beer tap, so we can do nitrogen-infused coffee and tea. Um, and that's about 20% of our orders now. Oh, wow. And also, um, our, our matcha green tea latte is actually our number two seller now. So, oh, wow. So it's not just about coffee. Right. Now you have the teas, you got mm -hmm. the matchas, and more uh, stuff to come. All right, when we get back from commercial break, we're going to hear about two other companies that went through our incubator that also uh, raised money from our syndicate. And after we meet those two companies, uh, one of them is dramatically helping sales teams close twice as many sales, and the other one is helping... Uh, farmers in the cannabis space move their product more efficiently um, in creating the first ma marketplace in the cannabis space. When we get back, we're going to hear from both of those companies. And then we have a group discussion about what it will take for them to raise their next round and what the impact of having a syndicate as their major investor has been when we get back on This Week in Startups. Ah, yes, my friend, Mitch Weiner. 
called into this very podcast eight years ago in 2010 and asked me for advice. Hey, what should I do with my life? I want to be in the startup game. I said, hey, you know, go to Techstars or some incubator, find the best company there and join it. The best company he could find was DigitalOcean. And he came back on the podcast, gave me a high five in 2014 after Andreessen Horowitz put $37 million into the company. And since that time, DigitalOcean has been on fire. El Fuego. They have 150,000 businesses using their service to deploy, manage, and scale their applications. You don't want to have to deal with infrastructure. You want to get all that friction out of your way. And you want to use their huge resources, a big community with tutorials and resources to help you scale your business. It's very straightforward billing when you're using DigitalOcean. You always know what you're going to pay. And it's a flat pricing structure across all data centers. This makes life easy. And here's what Content Ignite said about DigitalOcean. Since moving to DigitalOcean, our setup is ultimately more capable than when we had before the migration. Downtime has become a rarity, and our hosting costs have decreased by more than 90%. What? It's not 9%. There's a zero there. Oh, my God. They're saving 90%. That is completely believable. They're doing a great job at DigitalOcean. A lot of my startups are using it. They've been great in supporting our incubator. And you can get a hundy. That's what we do here. We get you hundies. You can get a $100 credit right now by going to do.co slash twist. Do.co slash twist. Get it, DigitalOcean? Go to do.co slash T-W-I-S-T and get your hundy. That free $100. They do an amazing job. They have great technical support. And they're big friends of the show. So when you go there, make sure you visit do.co slash twist so we get credit for referring you to such a great service. You're going to love it. And uh, Mitch, thanks for the support over the years. And I'm super happy for you and the team at DigitalOcean. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to This Week in Startups. I'm your host, Jason Calacanis. And it is my pleasure to host this show twice a week sometimes three times a week because we sold out all of 2018. I want to thank my team for working really hard, including uh, Matt, especially, who's come here and just done a tremendous job with bringing on a lot of great partners for the podcast, which is letting us invest. You're probably seeing us sharing a lot of clips, going into the archive, and the production value of the show going up, up, up. That's all thanks to our partners, and Matt's been a key player in selling out this week in startups. It's only two or three times in the 10-year history that we've gotten this sold out. When we get that sold out, you know what happens? Sometimes we're going to add an extra episode. So in the next couple of months, fourth quarter of 2018, you might get three twists a week, huh? It's pretty great. Uh, and, we, and we keep the show free thanks to these incredible sponsors. So today is our syndicate-focused episode. And a lot of people want to know how I make decisions to invest in companies. There's really two ways I like to look at this. One, you can look at the performance. Um, and the performance can be in the product, it could be in the revenue, it could be in the user engagement, all of that goes under performance. The other one is you can look at the, the founder. And my next founder, um, May, I found, Xiao, May Xiao from Lead IQ. She had a very basic product, but I have a gift. And what it is is, it's like a superpower, if I was like in the Justice League of America or the X-Men, uh, my superpower would not be talking, although that's probably your guess right now. No, my superpower is I can tell who's going to be a winner. It literally is like Professor X. I put on Cerebro, I look at people in the eyes, and I see a glowing sign above their head that says winner. 
and nobody else in the world can see it. It really is like a crazy superpower. When I met you, May, you, it was you and your partner, Angelo. That's right. You had a very basic product that used Google Sheets, brand new at the time, ability to create applications. I think they may have called them add-ons. Google Sheets add-on. Google Sheets add-ons. So they were all little app store that allowed people to just do common functions, and you hacked something together and presented it to me. Tell me what you hacked together. Sure. So you were right. Google Sheet add-on was very new at that point. Google just released this, and we built a very um, small enrichment tool. If you have a list of email addresses in a Google Sheet, you can use our add-on to automatically enrich it, and we will fill in the spreadsheet with company um information about these people based on their email addresses. We'll fill in their name, their company, company size, email addresses, and everything else that you want to know about uh, a person if this is a B2B contact leads. Great. So if you have so, jason at calacanis.com, my personal email address, or jason at launch.com, my business address, you can hit different services on the web with their APIs. Correct. It's all very on the up and up in terms of privacy and pull back some information. So if I was the owner of a mailing list, whether it was a business or a retailer, I could all of a sudden know, hey, out of these top 1,000 customers, what their Twitter handles are or what their Facebook profiles are or where I might find them on LinkedIn. Correct. Super powerful. Right. And I remember that you actually give us, oh, when we were showing it to you, you give us, this is the launch conference attendees. Try this on, on this list. Yeah. And then we did it, and boom, it fill in, uh, fill in all the details about these people, who they are, what's their title, yeah. where do they work. Then I had my team, as a super hack, go <laughs> follow them from the launch handle. And they're right. like, really like, whoa, that's kind of cool, right? Because you're building a deeper relationship. But that original product you showed me, I said, well, this is a very interesting product I might use once a year. That's right. But I was like, hmm. I'm not sure. And at that time, I think you maybe had 500 a month in revenue. Maybe $75 th a month. Oh, 75. <laughs> yeah. So I was looking at that 75 and I just thought to myself, well, what if we added three zeros? $75 <laughs> would be 75,000. Right. Which is kind of how my brain works. I've convinced myself that adding zeros is very easy. Right. It is for the first couple of zeros. It's harder as you go. <laughs> yeah. um, but based on that and based on thinking, wow, this is so clever and you're a winner, I invited you to come to the incubator. I believe you came to LI2 the second time we ever did it. That's right. And if my memory serves me correct, that would have been maybe April the spring. 2015. Spring of 2015. So about yes. just three and a half years we've known each other. Right. Tell us what's happened to this little, I think it was probably a two-person company at the time with $75 a month in revenue. And in the three and a half years, what's happened? Sure. So... We joined um, Jason's incubator, as Jason mentioned. During that incubator itself, Jason gave us really great feedback, as well as many other people that we talked to, that this product that we have built is interesting, but it's, as Jason mentioned, will be used only maybe once a year, twice a year, because it's an enrichment tool. Instead, what most salespeople need is uh, a, a, the ability to build new lead lists fast. If I'm interested to find a number of like founders or a number of um, VP of sales or a number of people in marketing. How can I do that fast? So during the incubator uh, program itself, we built a new product. Mm. 
um, which is al- which is allowing you to if you give um, us a first name, last name, and company, then we will find everything else about that person, including that email address. Great. So in the beginning, you give us email address, and we give you everything else, and we swap it around. Now you just give us what kind of person you are looking for, and we'll give you the email address and contact information and how do you can keep in touch and contact them. Fantastic. Maybe you could take a minute and just show us this. And for sure. those of you who are not watching the video, you can always go to youtube.com slash thisweekend to see our videos. Um, or you can listen to it and we're going to sportscasts. So right now, uh, May has pulled up, uh, looks like LinkedIn. And she right. is doing a search for sales enablement. Right. I've never even heard of this term. <laughs> what is this term, sales enablement? So sales enablement is a role. Typically, this is people hired in a company that has uh, huge salespeople. They are the people who will determine what product um, the salespeople should use mm. in order to be faster and more efficient. Got it. So, yeah. so let's say you are a company that are selling into sales enablement because they are the people who make the decision whether is this a good product for the company or not. You can do a search, let's say in LinkedIn here. Mm. It will return you a list of people in sales enablement. You can then use Lead IQ Chrome extension, which will pull up this. Ah, there you go. And our extension automatically read your H- browser HTML page, detects names and companies, and at real time, find information about these people from all over the internet, from okay, many so different go. data sources. When when you hit that little Chrome extension button, another window pops up on the side of LinkedIn and shows you, hey, here are those people. And at the bottom, it says, see if you can find the work phone number, the mobile phone number. You can click on the individual. Right. And then it says capture. What happens when you click the capture button? Right. So when, when you hit this one um, capture button, just with one click, we automatically sync to your CRM. Let's say you're using Salesforce. Okay, most people do, yeah. Yeah, Still. we automatically deduplicate. You can see here that we found this person already in Salesforce. Ah. So we automatically let you know whether this is a duplicate lead. But this um, is very interesting. It's showing this person, Corey Bray. So apologies to them, but it's publicly listed information. Uh, and it says he is uh, on closed loop, C-L-O-Z-E loop. But prior to that, he was actually at Career Sofia. So this happened we, to be the same person. So in Salesforce, we had him, but right. we had his past company. Correct. So what happens now when you have this kind of, we found a match, but with bad information? Well, typically people actually create a new record because mm-hmm. they don't want to um, update the old one. So we'll let them do that. Great. And with this one click, we will save to CRM. We mm-hmm. won't if there's already a duplicate. That's exactly the same. And if they use sales engagement platform, or they have an email template somewhere. They can pick it from here too. Okay, so let's say what a, let's let's talk about what a sales engagement platform is. Salesforce is CRM, which is customer relationship management. That's like the the contacts. What is this other category you're talking about? So sales engagement platform is typically a system where you can build a campaign um, of email templates. Mm-hmm. So you can um, build one template that the first time you send an email to this person, you would like to say this one. Mm. The, um, Three days later, if the person doesn't respond, you can send a follow-up email. Great. And so these are the content. platforms that are responsible for people emailing me and saying, hey, I see that inside.com is using Google Analytics. We have a Google Analytics competitor. And then if I don't respond, they ask again. But there's always that little click to say unsubscribe if you want. <laughs> um, and that's why there's this, I think, what do they call that? A drip campaign? Would that be a drip campaign or would that be something else? 
drip campaign is typically more marketing. Got it. With sales engagement, it's typically a lot more targeted and personal. Got it. So it's um, it's just an email campaign. And I guess the one we've used is outreach. Yes. Uh, there's here. a couple that's uh, out there. Outreach, sales love. Mix sales Max. I've heard of. Mix Max, I've heard. Yeah. There's one that's super cheap now, too. I forgot what it is. It's interesting how in the enterprise space, if yes, there's like four or five competitors, somebody right. just comes out with one that's like competing on price. But a bunch of my startups have been telling me about one that's like, I think outreach is 50 bucks a month or something. Oh, it's now 150 a month. 150 a month, yeah. which is crazy. Right. Um, and then somebody right. told me there's one that's like 20 bucks a month now. Yeah. There are different... Um, Levels with different kind of integration. Got it. Yeah. So you integrate with them. So everybody's Correct. happy about that. Yes. So with one click, essentially, we send all of this data and dedupe it to all the systems that they need it to be at. Hmm. So just click one capture and everything is, the email is now being sent. That prospect is probably now re receiving your email and reading it. So we make it really fast. We save a few hours of a day out of salespeople's time. Wow. So you can save them an hour a day. That's invaluable. What does the tool cost now? Do you charge per lead? Do you charge per month? What would somebody pay? We have two different versions. <clears throat> we have our solo product, which is meant for people who are casual founders or casual salespeople who are Got not full-time prospecting. Single player mode. Single player mode. Exactly. So this is lead space. They get uh, 300 leads every month. But we have um, our enterprise version, which is sold to mostly teams of salespeople. Hmm. They get unlimited leads, and then this is per seat pricing. Ah, got it. 20, 30, 40 bucks a month? What is the range? 120 per user per month. So 120 per, so it's not Correct. cheap. It's not cheap, yeah. Except if you save these salespeople, these sales executives, we'd be getting total compensation of 100 or 200,000 a year. Exactly. And they're working 50 hours, maybe 50 hours a week for 40 hours. They're probably working 2,000 hours a year. So you start to do the math on what their hourly rate is. You're talking about 50 or or $100 an hour they're making. Correct. So all you have to do is save them but two hours or get them one sale a year. Yep. And, and it pays for it's, itself. Exactly. And we got anecdotes all the time of people trialing the product. I've just been using Lead IQ for three days and I got six new connections, six new opportunities. Mm. Right. So... Fantastic. And, uh, yeah, sorry. You want to okay. show us one more thing here. Let's take a look at this next piece of the puzzle. Yeah, sure. So Lead IQ works anywhere as long as you give us a first name, last name, and company. Okay. You could be looking at a company leadership websites, for example. Oh, wow. I didn't actually know that you had this feature yet. So yeah. here we are looking at a startup's page where it has each person's name, the CFO, the CTO, et cetera. This is like your team page. And you just highlighted the person's name. Correct. And then I can click capture too. <gasps> and I have all the information about them too. Wait, how did you do that? So essentially our algorithm takes just first name, last name, and company. Ah. As long as you give us that, wherever we are, we can actually then find information about those people and speed up everything for you. Got it. And you did highlight the person's name. Was that necessary? Well, um, Is that like training it? Correct, exactly. Got it. So in some popular websites like LinkedIn, we have already trained it. We know where's the first name, last name, and company. If it's a new website, HTML, we need to train it to know like where And the way you did that is you highlighted the person's name one more time. And, and then, then right you right mouse click and you got the little drop down menu and said search lead by name. name. Amazing. And it knows the domain name you're on, vidyard.com in this case. So I think you're probably going to have an yes. easy time guessing it's Michael at vidyard.com exactly because you already know the domain uh, and this also works with i know angelist 
Uh, so for people who are looking for investors or partners or startups, that's great. Um, so now you, you, you don't have the LinkedIn dependency that some people would say, oh, what if LinkedIn cuts you off? Correct. LinkedIn technically can't cut anybody off. They lost a case, I remember, of an Israeli company who scraped the whole database. Right. Are you so, aware of that case? And what was the outcome? I'm, um, it was a different company. I think it was a recruiting company ah. who was actually using um, LinkedIn. I think they were scraping um, for job position changes ah. when people are, and I think they used it to like target people on how do you want to find a new job. Hmm. But anyway, in our case, um, what we have seen is that LinkedIn typically... Uh, is not happy when a company scrapes everything from LinkedIn. Hmm. But in our case, we take just the very minimum. Right. We take first name, last name, and company. Yeah, that seems you're well within your rights, I guess. It's arguably a public information where yeah. someone works. And if you search on Google, typically it will come up too. Like what yeah, so Google's got it. Exactly. What's the difference between you having it? Right. And so. then we get the email address and everything else from our own algorithm and our own data sources. And to just look through the history, you came to launch Incubator 2. Uh, we did a syndicate in the fall of uh, 2015 for 250K. I guess you put that to work for a little bit. In 2017, I, we did another 27,000. Maybe that was uh, pro rata. Pro rata, right. A little pro rata top off. And then um, I remember this was the first, first time we did it. But in 2018, you had just kept sending me these great updates that were up and to the right. And I said, hey... Let's do this. Let's do this. Can we offer you a million dollars to um, just top things off? Because we have confidence. And so for people who are listening at home, you know, a lot of times you're trying to get co-leads, et cetera. But sometimes if things are going really well, an existing investor might say, you know what? I'm long-term greedy. And I looked at it and said, well, I know she's a winner and the company's going up and to the right. So I just said, will you take a million dollars from us? Uh, and you don't have to go on a funding thing. And you, of course, said no. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah. Because you were going through a Series A process. You went through the process. But then I think at some point you just said, you know what? Having Jason own a little bit more is easier than meeting 75 investors That's to get down to three. So let's talk about that a little bit. How did that happen? Sure, certainly. As you said, um, things are going really well. Revenue keeps going up. We are actually getting into positive cash flow zone that we don't really need money. So, yeah, you had a break-even month, in fact. Yes, yeah. exactly. So, which is why when you come in to us and, hey, we can give you another million dollars, would you want to take it? We were like, well, do we need it now? Or should mm -hmm. we push a little more and try to get that Series A instead of like, because we thought a million would be seen more like a bridge. Mm -hmm. We don't really want that at that point of time. Right. Right. So, um, so we said, no, let's keep going and let's see how long, um, like, where can we take this into but um, as you as you notice, right, as we really go to try to find a Series A, that Series A process takes longer than we originally thought. Yeah. Talking to many different investors, they are all like somewhat interested and yet at the same time, no one is really like, I'm going to do this right now. Right. Because right. you were at the time, yeah, probably around a million or two in revenue run rate. Right. And I think now people expect a SaaS company for a Series A. It's more like having a Series B funding today. They yes. want $3 million. Is that your? Is that what you're hearing from people? $3 million? I think 3.5 to 5-ish. That's what, <gasps> wow. what I'm That's hearing That's the first right time now. I've heard somebody say that. So this million dollars allowed you to get back to work. You've got a huge cash cushion now. And I think, what, 15, 20 employees at the company? 22 employees right wow. now. Well, congratulations. Uh, we're going to talk more about what uh, is coming next for Lead IQ when we get back. Next up, uh, you can see me wearing my Kush jacket. Uh, Kush is our first and only cannabis investment. And we decided to 
take a big chance and engage in the cannabis space back in 2017. And the reason we did it is because of Chase from Kush. We had just a great belief in this founder, and you're going to get to meet him when we get back on This Week in Startups. We use and love Gusto at all of my companies, Launch, Inside. And why do we love it so much? Well, I was just talking to Ashley, who's been our COO and the managing director of our syndicate, and she loves the fact that it is so quick and easy for us to onboard new employees. That process used to be arduous. With Gusto, it is seamless. And they give you persistent and helpful communications on a regular basis about what's going on. And I am on the administrative uh, email addresses so I can see this as the CEO, even though I don't manage it anymore. But I like to see those communications. They're not annoying, but they're persistent and they keep you informed and make sure that you do everything right, including things like your benefits, commuter benefits we started giving, healthcare, dental, vision, all that good stuff. Hey, 401k, 529, which is that awesome uh, tax break you get when you start saving for college and HSA, all the payroll, all the benefits in one place. This is what makes Gusto so amazing. Payroll, taxes, and HR is easy. Super easy for your small business. Fast, simple payroll processing. All your benefits in one place. And by the way, they have tremendous support. Chat if you don't like to talk to people on the phone or phone if you don't like to chat. Either one you can do. So now is the best time to get up, uh, to get set up. Obviously the new year is coming, so I don't want you to wait. And listeners of This Week in Startups get an amazing offer. They get three months free when they run their first payroll. Okay. Three months free. So I want you to try a demo yourself. I want you to go to gusto, G-U-S-T-O dot com slash twist. Gusto dot com slash twist. I use it. Ashley manages it. We love it. It's very easy for me to read this ad for Gusto because it is the best solution out there for all your HR needs, payroll, benefits, taxes. You want to make it easy and you want to get back to work on your product and you can do that by going to gusto.com slash twist, G-U-S-T-O dot com slash twist. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. Welcome back to This Week in Startups. If you want to do me a favor, everybody always asks, Jason, God, you produce all this amazing content. What can we do for you? Well, it's really only two things, maybe three even. One, if you know a great company that feels similar to these, you can email me, jason at calacanis.com anytime and send me an introduction to that company. The second thing you can do is tell your friends about the podcast. So take this very episode and send it to a friend and say, hey, I don't know if you know about This Week in Startups, but it's pretty dope. You're going to learn a lot from a lot of great founders. And Jason's funny sometimes. He may drop some funny reference. And then finally, I have obligated to beg you for an iTunes review because apparently your ranking in iTunes is highly dependent on your ability to write glorious five-star reviews for us. So if you feel so inclined, please write a review. Sometimes they take the reviews and they tweet them. Other times I DM the person and thank them and I follow them on Twitter. So I don't know if I'm allowed to do that, follow you back for uh, a review, but sometimes I'm just, I feel so compelled. My next guest, Chase Nobles, or Nobles in French. Chase Nobles uh, came to me and pitched me Cush Marketplace. Which like is a cold re- email. Sorry. Was it a cold email? It was cold, yeah. Yeah. Super cold. So same it was like at- a third cold email too. Really? Yeah. To me? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So uh, that is a lesson for everybody. Important people get 500 emails a day. It may take two or three emails. But Chase and also Henry had emailed me. I think May, um, we'll find out when she gets 
back for the group discussion. I think she had actually applied to the program, but maybe not. She might have cold emailing as well. Cold emails work when you have a chart that's up and to the right or a kick-ass product. In the case of Kush, they had about a million dollars in tourism revenue and advertising revenue for Kush Tourism and Kush uh, Maps. Was that the first two products? Am I correct? Yeah, we, we don't really talk about our revenue too much. Oh, okay. But yeah, no. So, we, we they had okay. seven figures. We were a media company, 100%. Though. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you came to LI6, fast-forwarding, back in 2017 in the fall. Uh, we did uh, Jason Syndicate, raised a couple hundred grand. Then we did it again, raised close to a million. Um, and so, we've invested over a million dollars in the company. Show us... Uh, what we invested in. I, and I'll t explain to people why right after this because it wasn't because of the tourism or the magazines or the maps, your yeah. first media company products, which you still do, correct? Sure, yeah, yeah. Right. We wanted to invest in the Kush Marketplace. Show us what it is. Sure, well, it's come a long way since maybe you've last seen it. Um, we just got a couple more developers working full time on the product and- Fantastic, good use of funds. Yes, it's amazing how much they can, you know, knock out in a short period of time. But um, I guess I'll just roll through a quick demo. So sure. if you log in as a buyer, um, you're just gonna be able to browse a couple of products here. You're gonna be able to see- A buyer of cannabis. Yeah, we only work with licensed producer processors in right. the legal cannabis industry. So, so not consumers. No, this is no, not no. Ease or Meadow. No, no, no. This is a marketplace for buyers. Buyers, am I correct, would be called dispensaries in the industry? No, buyers in this case are product manufacturers typically. Ah. Um, distributors in, in California. People that are taking raw material and turning it into a product for in consumption. Got so, it. So the flour that went into this pre-roll was probably bought by a farm that didn't, like, bought by a product manufacturer that didn't grow the flour. They bought it from a farm, probably, and then packaged it up. Got it. So yeah. you have, to set the stage here, people who grow flowers, yep. which is the industry term for cannabis bud. Yeah. Um, and those people who grow the flour sell them to processors or product manufacturers. Typically, yeah. Typically. Um, there's some vertical integration out there, but that model's really tough, and there's a lot of risk associated with it. Um, cannabis flowers, a pretty finicky plant, and it takes a lot of focus and attention just to grow really great raw material, raw cannabis bud, trim, everything. And so... It'd be a, maybe analogous to the wine, because from what I understand from wine, there are people who just grow grapes, yep. and then there are people who just process the grapes and make the brands of wine. Many of the great wines are yeah. coming out of... From vineyards that the wineries don't own, from yeah. my understanding. But. Yeah. Okay. So here you go. You log into the marketplace as a buyer of yeah. flowers or so, seller of flowers. So once you make it past the validation process, which this account is in, you can start to browse um, and find exactly what you're looking for. Um, one of the nice features here is not necessarily this this capability to just see all the different products and see what's hot, see what's having, what's getting offers and see what's getting a lot of interest. Like this 2018 rough trim flower, 72 views posted three hours ago. That's pretty good. So that's probably going to get bought within the next couple of hours. But what's really nice is if you're a serious buyer, you're going to want to do a custom search here. And so these custom searches are how many buyers manage all of their procurement. So mm -hmm. they have, they know exactly what they need monthly. And so they'll come in here, put it into the platform, and then it'll show them all the matches in the database. It's okay. Live. So, if so we give us a really good example. Yeah. So like 
concentrates market's really big right now. Concentrates. Uh-huh. This is like the wax for the, dabbing. Yeah, it's the essential oils of the plant. Got it. The and oils, got it. Um, these extractors, you know, it's a big investment for a business to make to buy some of these large extract, like this large extraction equipment. So they know they need a certain amount of raw material coming in the door every day, every week, every month, just to stay profitable. Keep so the they buy open. machines that then are kind of like the presses or the processors of the flowers that mm-hmm. make the. Uh, those oils or the cannabinoids, uh, I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, cannabinoids, what you, yeah. Cannabinoids. Yeah, you're right. And that may, those go into things like tinctures, where they might go into the shards of glass that people use for dabbing, the waxes, yeah, the yeah. oils that people use for a vape pen. Shards of glass sounds pretty rough, but yeah, the essential oils. Sh- what do they call that shard stuff? They call it shatter. Shatter. Shatter, shatter. Got yeah. It. I've it, never done that, it, but it I've snaps, heard about it. It snaps. Yeah, Got yeah. it. That's incredibly powerful from what I understand. Yeah, it's not something that you want to just jump in and yeah. and and do like you know out of nowhere. You want to you want to do some research and um you know most uh, most people that are consuming dabs or concentrates like that they're it's not like their first attempt at smoking yeah. weed. Yeah. You know? They they've been to the rodeo. Okay, so give us an example here. So, so, let's, so let's say you're a processor and you're looking for some trim. So trim for extraction Actually, I actually already have one of these set up, so we're going to skip filling out that whole form. Go to my searches. Once you get that whole form filled out, it pops you to a page where it shows you all of the potential matches in the database. So trim for extraction, and it'll just start showing you every single match. Great. Um, and so this is also showing in the deta- in your search, you also put the price range you're looking for. Oh, yeah. Yep. A penny to a dollar a unit. Yep. Is a oh, unit? I have, it, I have it opened up pretty good because huh. I was testing it. But yeah, it. usually you go like a penny to 30 cents a gram. And you could um, say, I want this much THC and this much CBD. Yes. Yep. And trim is a little bit tougher because, you know, it's What does it mean trim, by the way? Trim. So um, when you take the cannabis plant down mm-hmm. from a harvest, it you're not just smoking. Like a lot of people think you smoke the leaves or you smoke. It, there's a lot of misinformation out there. You have to harvest the buds off of the plant, which is the flowers. It's kind of a unique looking flower. And once you have the bud, to get it ready for retail sales, you're going to want to trim the the looser leaves off of it. The Got leaves it. still have the essential oils in them. But, you know, if you want to have something packaged ready to sell at a dispensary, you're going to want to clean it up. Mm. Trim is what comes off. It's kind of a byproduct from large Got harvest. Got it. Yep. So the flowers, the little bud yep. um, that people have to then grind down, yep. it's everything but that. Yes. So yep. when you see somebody has a big bag with all the, just the buds in it, that's like the most dense part of the cannabis. Yes. The other stuff still has value. Yes. But has to be extracted. And so this, that's called trim. Yeah. A lot of the trim, if you smoke it, it's going to be really harsh. It's not, it's ah. not, and, and, and there's some really high grade trim out there that you can smoke in pre-rolls, but mostly what you want to smoke is the buds. Yeah. The trim is just more for processing typically. And I see you can ask you can also set what percentage thc and cbd yes so that would be maybe more used for bud but yes you can yeah. got it so if you're if you're a processor that's making uh, like repackaging flour for sale to retail you'd want to filter it you know maybe i only want to buy flour above 17 percent thc mm. and everything has to be tested now so a lot of these test results come with the product by the what time that, yeah what does that mean everything has to be tested now yeah so with regulations that uh, with legalization and the, the new regs that come out um, when a state does that, in order to sell consumer-grade cannabis, it has to test clean, not mm-hmm. only for 
you know, no mold, but also for no pesticides or low amounts of pesticides that are deemed healthy. Or um, it has to show that it doesn't have heavy metals, which is coming down the pipeline in California soon. So there's a lot of, um, th this was an outlaw industry not too long ago. And so there So were, this is fantastic for consumers. If they were buying uh, cannabis just five or 10 years ago, you, you would have no idea what pesticides were on it. You would have no idea the levels of THC or yeah. CBD, or yeah. if you even knew that, and you yeah. wouldn't even know if it had heavy metals in it. When, what do you suspect w was in the bud we were buying a decade ago? I mean... Anything's possible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, you know, a lot of the cannabis, from my understanding, you know, came from Mexico for a while. And during the, the drug war, you know, they would fly over and drop who knows what, just trying to kill the plants and they would harvest them right then and ship it straight to America through the right. borders. So and you could have been smoking any kind of crazy pesticides. Who knows what? Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Who knows what? Um, so we, we have a, a count, we account for that in our platform. Um, <clears throat> we have trusted badges on some of the products and although they don't uh, account for it now, we're looking at um, annual pesticide tests independent of the regulatory bodies hmm. um, in a random fashion to have a trusted, be a trusted vendor on the platform. Wow. Yeah. So who would actually do that random pesticide testing? Anybody that wanted to be a trusted vendor on the platform. Who would actually go out and do it? Would you hire that person to do it and then put that good housekeeping seal of approval on Kush Marketplace? Yeah. Oh, wow, that's amazing. And I think people would pay for it too. Um, yeah, I think it's... Or there's third parties out there that do it as well. Clean Green Certified is one of them that, that helps manage cleanliness and um, good good farming practices. So um, I see also you have text alerts and some other features here. What are some of the other features? Yeah, so I, I preloaded a product on my phone. Let's see if this works. I'm going to save it right now. So like the story that I'm not telling here that I really should be telling is the story about the farmer. Yeah, so, tell us. So these farms are... Um, coming out of the woodworks in a way um, and, and going through the process with each state to be a legal farm and get their license and do everything the right way, uh, the way that the state wants them to do it in a regulated way. Um, but with legalization comes commercial industrial industrialization of an industry. Hmm. And so there's a lot of you know small farmers out there still. And it's the story of small farmers in a, in a lot of ways. And the downward price pressure on the industry isn't something that people necessarily expect, hmm. um, especially especially the farmers, because you know price has been artificially high for a long time due to the legality of it and the risk with the legality of it. And so, when commercial industrialization comes around, prices get pushed down quite right. a bit because what we've seen in Washington and in Oregon is massive oversupplies in the first couple of years. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I, my understanding was in some places, like Canada just has the national referendum, mm -hmm. and Nevada is now also... Recreational. Recreational, which means you don't need a medical license. Um, it, am I correct that both of those places sold out? Yeah, and that's a short, that's a very short-term blip on ah. the radar. Every, it seems like everywhere sells out in the first week of legalizing weed because everybody wants to buy it. And yeah, it's a new thing. It's a new thing. And this, it takes a while for the state to catch up with the licensing to get everybody up and running. Mm -hmm. But then once everybody is up and running, you see massive oversupply. We expect Canada to go through a massive oversupply. California is going to go through a massive oversupply. What is a gram? It's sold in grams? Um, in, in Washington, it's priced by print. 
grams and yep. California is mostly priced by pound. So it's a little bit regional terminology. Take we, me you through, can do either on the platform. Take me through what the pricing history has been pre prohibition medical, uh, just on average prohibition days, medical marijuana days and recreational days. Is there, is there a halfing or a quarter? What happens to pricing? Sure. Uh, so I'm not as familiar as I maybe should be with the pre legalization prices. Yeah. Um, I, I don't. I don't know if yeah. anybody was super familiar with what those prices. I think exactly it was like were. a dime bag or a nickel bag, which is five and ten yeah. bucks, were like one or two joints, respectively. Like we're gonna have to hop on a call. I, I think it might have been like five dollars to get, and when you were buying it in New York, a dime bag, it was probably half leaves and grass and half actual cannabis. Or this they is what would, your friend would tell you when you were buying it. What would happen is if you had if you had to cop, which is what they would call it, <laughs> you cop. Whoever you copped from, uh -huh. your weed, they would go buy it, take a pinch out, put something else in, and then hand it to you. Do you know since I've been 21, weed's yeah. been legal? Yeah. I, I don't, I was, it was, and you know what? It was like very interesting because in my youth, you would smoke multiple joints to feel the power of cannabis. Yeah. And then I moved to LA, and it was legal. So I'm talking about 12 years ago. I took a hit. I got knocked on my ass. It was yeah. like one puff is... As powerful as what we used to smoke in a joint or two. You would be sure. sitting there smoking two or three joints. Like, do you feel anything? You feel anything yet? Now, there's a lot of science going into it, correct? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Uh, mm. The R&D in this space has been pretty unbelievable to just see the R&D facilities at some of these um, um, producer processors out there because it is a high value crop, even with commercialization. Mm. And so the potential return from your R&D would pay for itself. Yeah. So um, what, what's happened with farmers? You said you had a, you had a story to tell there. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we're, we've been on this road trip for the last week and a half through all of California. We're just coming from the, the Emerald Triangle, went over to Grass Valley, saw all kinds of interesting farms. And the, the general theme is a lot of these farms are, you know, maybe 5,000 square feet or so, which... That's on, tiny. On the grand scheme, isn't that big, right? Um, but all the hurdles they've had to go through to get their license and all the, the hurdles with, you know, regulatory agencies. I think there's 18 agencies involved in California. Um, it's costing a lot of money. It's costing them a lot of money just to grow 5,000 square feet. Um, but on top of that, now that they have their harvest down, they have to trim it all up. And that costs labor or, or, or costs another company to come in and trim it up uh, in some cases. But... You know, they need to run super, super lean and they need to do that for the next two or three years. And so with our platform, what would take a sales team of six takes one click. And let me show you. So on our platform, we have a giant network of buyers. They all input exactly what they need, the prices they're willing to pay. And a seller can just come in, upload their inventory, click save product. Which you just did on your mobile phone for people who are listening. I did, yeah. Yeah, so that would be like a farmer in the field, takes a picture of the bud, describes it, saves it. Mm -hmm. And then what? He has to get uh, vetted and then put on the marketplace, or if they're pre-approved, it goes right on the marketplace live. Yeah. So you know, there's a. It takes a. It's a process to get people up and running on the platform, mm -hmm. which has been one of the challenges, um, but quite rewarding. As soon as I saved this product, I just saved some 2018 fresh tested outdoor hand trim. And as soon as that product saves, it shows me, okay, there's 70 buyer matches, and this is a real product from a farm up in Washington. Got it. Targeting Washington processor buyers. It matches 70 different buyer matches. It probably sent text messages to three quarters of them. And now by the end of the show, it could have multiple bids on it. Wow. That would take, that would take a farm hundreds, 
if not maybe thousands of phone calls to do. Right. To get multiple bids. Mm. And we do that in one click. And for the buyers, they would also need to be sending people into the field to go find this stuff. And yeah. instead they get a text. And can they reply just to the text and say yes? Uh, that, would be, that, that would be really nice. It's a little bit more nuanced than that because there's a lot of questions buyers typically want to ask. Uh, so you they click and they go to the website and yeah, the size the size of the deals. It's you know it's like buying a car or a small house in some cases, and so they're going to do some diligence before they make an offer. But once they do make an offer, um, the farm can accept it right there. We do a lot of validation and what's the average time from a farm posting to a uh, buyer buying it? On the it, platform, it could be same day. Uh, it could be same day. The there's a lot that goes into it post close, sure. such as validating and you know yeah. making sure licenses are up to date. But yeah, it could be same day. They have an offer that they accept. I mean, if you can, do you have a second? Yeah, yeah. So if if we go to cannabis products here, let's see, let's just see what happened recently. Um, takes a second to load here. Yeah. So. Um, this vape oil here, it looks like they listed it at a penny. So they just probably needed to sell this because um, they, they're not going to sell it for a penny. Obviously, they just wanted people to make bids on it. Ah, um, so, so they th put it out at a really low. So it's like eBay in a way of cannabis. Well, the farms in the process, they don't know how to price hmm. many times. They don't know what it's actually worth. Okay, so they put it in the description, which is interesting. But um, since they listed it, they had three offers. They listed it on the 7th. And, and they're they getting $3.75 a gram in the latest offer. Yep. Wow. For, and they've got full they've got a full offer to buy all of it. It's not quite at the price that they want, but they've already accepted a thousand grams at seven three seventy five a gram. And so, they didn't accept the other one. So they could say how many grams they have, yep. which is twenty five hundred. They took the thousand, but they're not taking the three twenty five offer or the dollar seventy five. What's the low offer? Dollar seventy five. Dollar seventy five is the low offer. Yep. So they can just sit there and they can wait and sell it at what they want. So you're you're maximizing their well, when they get an offer, they get a notification that allows them to accept the offer or counter the offer. So ah. you don't, we don't show the counter offers. So they right. may have countered the 325 and they're just waiting to hear back. Um, ah, very but, good. Yeah. Perfect. And for these procurement teams, it takes one person to sit here on the platform to find everything you need now. All right. When we get back, we're going to have all three founders come back. May, Henry will join Chase. And we're going to talk about what it will take for them to take their C to Series A funded companies and make them Series A to Series B, and how long it will take them to get to my goal, which is $100 million in revenue a year. That's what I'm looking for my founders to do. These founders are on their way, but we're going to have that real talk when we get back on This Week in Startups. Listen, you're listening to This Week in Startups. You understand the name of the game, equity equity, equity. You want to get on that cap table, whether you're an employee or a founder or an investor. And the number one way people in Silicon Valley are managing complex cap tables is CARTA, C-A-R-T-A. -A. You have all these cap tables that are broken. They're kept on you know, spreadsheets somewhere on somebody's hard drive. Mistakes get made. There's inaccuracies. And let me tell you something. When these companies get big, if something's wrong, these mistakes can be costly. That's why a lot of VC firms, a lot of angel investors like myself, seed funds, and Slack, Coinbase, Flexport, August Capital, they manage hundreds of billions of dollars in equity on Carta, C-A-R-T-A dot com slash twist uh, is our special URL. And if you go to that special URL, you will be able to get Carta's cap table software and a free 
here we go, 409A valuation. That usually costs thousands of dollars and is painful and arduous, but no, with Carter, it's simple and it's easy peasy. It saves us hours per company. And it makes our year-end audit as a fund and a seed fund so much smoother. It forces founders to organize important information. That's one of the key benefits there. If you're a founder, this is going to give you the discipline. It's going to give you the rails. It's going to give you the structure to do it right, and you will look professional. There is a huge risk with these paper stock certificates of destroying the planet and losing them. So it's great for investors and founders, and it's really, really uh, makes life super simple. When founders uh, have their lawyers lose stuff or make mistakes, it is arduous and painful, and Carta makes it simple and delightful. Get that free, free 409A valuation right now, and learn how simple it is at Carta.com slash twist, C-A-R-T-A dot com slash twist. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. Welcome back to This Week in Startups. It's our special The Syndicate episode where I've taken three of the highest performing syndicates in the history of our 85 investments we've made. And now we've done 85 investments with a syndicate. Sometimes there's multiple investments per company. And in this case, with Lead IQ, we made three investments from our syndicate. Uh, with Kush, we have made to date two investments from our syndicate. And with Cafe X, we've made four from our syndicate. So this is what you want to do as an angel investor out there, if you're learning the trade, you might invest in 50 companies, pick the top 10%, the top five, and keep investing in them. Every time they're raising, if those companies are performing, you wanna keep doubling down, tripling down, quadrupling down. So portfolio management, and I talk about this in my book, Angel, which you can visit at angelthebook.com. In Angel, I say, hey, maybe if you were gonna make, uh, if you were gonna put a million dollars to work, you would put $5,000 into each of 50 companies. That gives you $250,000 invested. Five times 25, com 50 companies, five times five, 25. So you have 250,000 invested. If you take the top five of those 50 and you have, let's say 500K available, you put 100K into each of those. Then you take the number one of those, you put 250 into that. So let's do the math. You have 50 comp 45 companies that got 5K each for 450K of your portfolio. Uh, then you have one company that represents a 5K, 100K, and a 250K investment for a total of 355K in your winner. 35% of your portfolio is in your number one company. And then right there in the middle, 525K, uh, 425K is in, the, in that four companies that are right in the middle. So to say that again, if you were to put those numbers all together, 55% of your dollars are in the top companies, 45% are in the bottom companies. So think that through. That's called portfolio strategy. In gambling, we call it bankroll management. So this has been great. And I'm going to send this uh, file, of course, to the syndicate members. The syndicate uh, you can reach by typing in jasonsyndicate.com or you can type in thesyndicate.com which is the new name of the syndicate. We're gonna start calling it thesyndicate.com, which redirects to Jason Syndicate, um, because we want it to be bigger than just my personality, uh, as great as that may be. So um, let's start with you, May. You um, now have 22 people. The company is making a couple million bucks a year, broad strokes, but our goal is to get to 100 million. You have to continue to grow. What will you need to do to hit that number of 100 million, which would then make you worth billions of dollars, potentially. 
we are definitely having to um, build the product further, right? We have continue evolve, uh, evolve the uh, evolving the product, right? As we mentioned earlier, we started with a very small prototype. We built it to what LidIQ is today. Now we are working with over 600 different customers, companies that are telling us what are their pain points in doing sales prospecting. We are using a lot of this data and now we are building intelligence to to give them more predictive intelligence. Mm. Today they have to tell us what companies and what um, leads they are interested in and we are only helping to make it faster, similar like Henry, faster, better and cheaper. But um, next iteration of the product, we will be telling them this company and this lead is what you should be looking at. Got it. So instead of me saying, capture these uh, targets for me, with artificial intelligence, machine learning, and just big data in general, a person might go on to lead IQ and it would say to them, here's your next 10 leads. Call these people next. Correct. So that takes out the next piece of the sales team's um, challenge, which is the first challenge is, how do I get in touch with somebody? Now you're saying we're going to solve who should, who should you, you be in touch with? Exactly. At what point will AI be so good? Because you'll be able to get this done, I think, in a year or two. In the next year, you'll have this product, you think? The, the, the first basic, and then obviously we'll continue to learn and get better and better. So we'll say that's something that will take a year or two to sort of get up and running. Correct. How long is it before AI will start actually closing the deals? And I, I know this sounds facetious, yeah. but at some point... You should be able to, if you know the leads, be able to know how to craft an email and just automatically close the deal based on the responses. Is that going to happen? Is that 10, 20 years from now? I think it's a little bit like self-driving car. Yeah. People are not, you know, I think um, there will be, the technology will help you get there faster where this is the right lead, but the human touch is still needed. Hmm. Um, you know, you need to know. People still do business with people that they trust. Hmm. So technology can only help you to find who's the right people you should be talking to, at least for now, hmm. until the machine will get really, really good at understanding the nuances and all of this. Um, how should you position it? So to to have a machine to close, I think it will take a longer time, but we are not that far away from, like, for example, a Tesla that you can just like drive. On the 280. Exactly. Yeah, but maybe not down Folsom. Correct. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> pretty interesting. I, I'm also investing, you didn't know this, but in the next incubator accelerator class, we have a startup that replaces the CEO of a company and then just does the purchases. Oh. So it just decides, you All don't need a CEO see. anymore, you just decides which enterprise software you should buy. I'm kidding. It doesn't exist. <laughs> but that is the, uh, the next piece. That's, that's like a terrible yeah. idea. Exactly. <laughs> the buy side, it just picks right. what enterprise software you should buy based on AI. Um, but you will need... How many, so if you build that, you have 600 customers, would it be possible for you to hit 100 million in revenue with those 600 because you land and expand? In other words, you're able to go 20, 30, 40, 50X on those existing customers or do you have to just add a zero to the number of customers and get to 10 yeah. times as many customers? I think we have to do both. We have to find more customers, larger customers, and at the same time, like um, each of existing customers will grow because we can increase the average deal size. Does it feel insurmountable for you to get to 100 million or does it feel uh, completely possible at this point? How likely do you think you are to do that? So right now, um, we are taking it step by step. We are at around one to two right now. We are pretty confident we can grow it two to, um, two to three X within the next year, another two to three X within the next year, right? And then with that... Um, that puts you at 10, 20 million. Correct. Then, then you have to go for that next big hurdle. 
Right, exactly. Yeah. And then that's where I like I'll, I'll elevate them, and it really needs to deliver value. Mm. People kind of like if I buy Lead IQ, this is the ROI, and then mm. that's where we can like um, cross the chasm. Yeah, and really hit it up. Hit it up. Beautiful, uh, Henry. Let's switch over to you for a second. Uh, you have three units, Henry, mm. uh, in the field. Uh, I'm on the board of the company, um, and uh, we just had a board meeting. David Sachs and Craft Ventures did this last round with you. Feels like the product is working really well in the field, mm -hmm. but robotics and hardware is super hard. What do you think you need to do uh, to get the company to go the classic 50x from here? Um, yeah, it is. Well, yeah, the big hardware and, and a huge software element included uh, is hard, um, but we also own and operate, so we have a whole food business. So you really um, have three hurdles. Yeah. Software, hardware, and operating retail locations. Yes. Um, Super complex. Yeah, it's kind of like three companies or two companies. Um, but I think... Um, uh, you know, we have plans to open more locations later this year, and we have plans to um, open or launch in our second market next year, which will be on the uh, other side of the U.S. Great. Um, but uh, in terms of, you know, when we'll be you know, like 100 million in revenue or something, I think it's somewhere around four to 500 locations. Um, okay. And that seems fairly feasible because our product is, is a manufactured product. Um, so I think it's just the the technical challenge of like redesigning it or modifying it so that it's easy to manufacture and then setting up the, the, the production for it. People hate investing in hardware companies. You got one of the great investors of our time, David Sachs, to be involved. Yeah. Um, he's did Bird and uh, previously he sold Yammer uh, to Microsoft for a billion dollars and he worked at PayPal as part of the PayPal mafia. What has having great investors like that done for the company. And then let's talk about, I know you added a lieutenant and you have somebody who's been in the, you know, the business working at Google and SoftBank. Cynthia has been, I think, tremendous. How have those two things changed running your startup? Yeah, well, I think David was excited because Cafe X is, is one of those products that can grow virally. Um, it kind of just draws a big crowd. Um, and uh, it's it's definitely been been very helpful. David has a lot of good ideas on the product side, um, and also just gives the company a lot of validation. I think, um, and um, and then with uh, with Cynthia, who joined us a few months ago, um, you know, it's, she has a lot of experience at big companies, but also at startups. Um, and it's really rare to find someone like that who also cares a lot about product. Um, and, uh, and HR and you know, all these things. So she's been really helping us scale up our ops team um, mm. to, to get more people um, and also just attracting a lot of new ta talent to the company. How old are you now, Henry? Uh, 24. You're 24. So we invested in 2016. I met you in 2015. So I yeah. met you when you were 21, I guess. Uh, yeah. And now you, when you ran the company, uh, candidly, mm -hmm. it was a bunch of uh, young kids trying to glue this all together and patch mm -hmm. it together. But now you've raised over 10 million bucks or so. And now you're starting to bring in, let's call it the adult 10 year plus crowd. Yeah. What's that like as a 24 year old to have people coming to work for you? You're still the CEO who have 10 years experience. Mm -hmm. How do you manage that as a young person? Um, well, I guess it's, it's, uh, I mean, I, I, I quite like it. Um, you know, we, we've always just had a team of kind of, um, very smart people, but sort of inexperienced because a lot of, for, actually for the majority of our team, Cafe X is like their first job mm. ever. 
Um, not for a startup, first job. First job. Right. So yeah. you're like literally learning how to show up for work. Yeah. And fill out <laughs> forms and get a paycheck well, and get yeah. direct deposit. We don't, we don't really have an issue with people showing up. We have an issue <laughs> with people not leaving. And then, you know, they get super tired and, and you know, that's not good for health. But, um, but it's basically allowed us to just iterate extremely fast. Mm. Um, so you know, sometimes we make mistakes, but we just iterate really quickly. It is amazing to me the velocity at which the hardware has advanced when yeah. we invested... There were like one or two bean types and maybe a half dozen drinks mm-hmm. uh, and products. Now it's just, you know, tripled, quadrupled the number yeah. of offerings. Yeah, I mean that that's kind of part um, partly enabled based on the the general architecture we have, which is using a robot arm to move a container around. Mm. So it gives us a lot of flexibility to add new products um, and modify the experience. Mm. Um, so you know, over time, we'll be adding things like you know, you know, a very basic thing that we actually don't have right now is ice drinks. And we're adding that uh, end of this month to mm-hmm. our Market Street location. And then we'll be adding that to all the locations. So the ability to put ice in a cup, robots yeah. are going to be able to do as soon as next year. And that just like doubles the menu. And yeah. for normal cafes, ice drinks is about 30 to 40% of their sales. So right. you would expect our, that our sales would just keep going up. And the Amazing. same thing with... Um, the beer tap that we've added. So we're adding more taps. So we'll have more uh, tea and coffee beverages. Mm. Um, and then also we are integrating uh, automated food, hot and cold food into the oh, machine. Oh, wow. That's going to be really big. Yeah. And the food stuff I've seen to date, whether mm. it's Zoom Pizza or Zuma Pizza, Zoom, Zoom Pizza, yeah. uh, the hamburger place, Momentum Machines, I think they changed the name. Creator. Creator. Yeah. Um, all of those, and there was a tea and a Froyo robots, or they cl- claim they were tea and but none of them worked uh, 100%. They all worked on average 30, 40, 50%. Is that why none of these have broken out? Do you um, think? Because that was my theory. It's like until it's 100%, it might as well be zero. Yeah. I mean, I, I really think it, it takes like everything working together seamlessly. You know, the hardware, the software, the, the food business, ops, like everything really needs to just work. And also like the branding and of course the, the actual like do the products actually taste good. Hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, as long as all of those things are working well, it probably will work. Didn't make sense to me, the hamburger place. Hmm. What's the new name of it? Creator. Creator. Yeah. They're only open three days a week, and the people I know, or I think it's three or four days a week for like an hour or two, mm-hmm. and I wish them all success, success in the world, obviously. But from what I understand, there was like 20 people working there, and the machine is not automated. It, it's like maybe 30 or 40% automated. Mm-hmm. When will a hamburger be able to be made, in your estimation, given what you know, making coffee that's 100% automated? When would a hamburger be 100% automated? How many years? Um, that a person would be able to open the store in the morning and not come back to the evening to refresh yeah. the salad. So I, there's, the, there's the prep part of it, and then there's the actual making of it. Yeah. So I think... Um, I think creator system is actually pretty much fully automated for making the burger. Right. You just need people to prep the ingredients and of course clean the machine. Right. Um, that need, but that then means they don't have a huge advantage over McDonald's or five guys. Um, yeah. Like a I, mean, minor I, I guess advantage. the natural progress, like the next step would be for them to make more of their existing machines and then, mm-hmm. then eventually make something that will prep the ingredients automatically. Slice too. the tomato, slice the yeah. lettuce. Yeah. It just seems like it's pretty messy. Um, uh, Chase, let's go talk a little bit about Kush. You are a growing company, obviously a lot of regulation in your space. So there's a lot to deal with on the legal side. But what I'm curious about now is in scaling this business, the same challenge because you also um, i think pretty young how old are you now 
28. 28. Okay. And you started this business when you were 25 or four? No, we're, we're, we're five years old now. So 23. 23. Yeah, right under And college. it's your first startup? Yeah. Um, for, I mean, first startup where yeah. it has potential scale. Yeah, great. Um, let's talk about this adult supervision thing that happens when companies start to grow and have a young founder. Have you started to bring in people with more experience than you uh, in the company, or do you plan to do that? And if you have done it already, what impact has it had on you as somebody who it is your first startup? And, and sometimes, let's face it, you, you haven't experienced everything. Have you brought in people around you to sort of give you some you know, sort of long-term or experiential view? Yeah, 100%. I mean, there's just certain things that my personality is not going to be good at. And I think hiring those compliments, having a business partner that has a lot of compliments to me is really important. Um, and, you know, to Henry's point on the managing, you know, a lot of the people that have come and worked for us are people that were users on the platform first. Mm. Um and so they worked at a farm or a dispensary or a yeah, or a product manufacturer. Yeah. Product manufacturer, so, yeah. um, you know, that's, that's been a learning experience. It's like, they don't tell you what entrepreneurship is going to be about. Like nobody, nobody's as candid as they maybe should be, but you know, even being on an interview, I get super nervous for this stuff because you know, there's, there's 22 people busting their asses up in Seattle and they're depending on me to do a good job at what I'm doing here. So yeah to hire people to manage things that they're great at that I'm just not going to be good at has been, it's been invaluable. I just wouldn't be able to even be down here doing this if we didn't make the Talk a little bit about what it's like to have uh, a large percentage of your funding coming from a syndicate and having those number of investors because I don't know how many investors participated in the syndicate, but I'm going to guess it's 50 to 100. Do you have total? You know? I, don't, I don't actually know, okay. um, but... I send weekly newsletters to the uh, syndicate group, as you know, and, and you read and you see, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, That's a pretty high velocity too, by the way. Thank you. It's more of like a personal journal, to yeah. be honest with you. I, I really want to be able to go back years from now and be able to read those weekly updates and just kind of, you know, put myself back into that position. But It would certainly would be interesting if we had those for Zuckerberg or for Travis and Uber. Exactly. To be able to look at week by week what actually made those companies become world-changing companies. Some weeks are great, and some weeks feels like the world's falling apart. Yeah. So it's it's interesting to kind of go through and read through those, you know, every once in a while. But having the hundreds of syndicate members in our company with that volume of updates, people are reaching out to me through your syndicate that are great people. Mm. People that, um, I don't know how many names you drop about the people that are in your syndicate. but Try not to, but yeah. But some of the, the value out of these updates and them reaching out to me and saying, Hey, maybe I can help with this or Hey, maybe I can introduce you to this person. Um, you don't get that through, you don't get that through one big investor. Right. Um, you're one big investor with hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of members in your syndicate. So yeah. if, if we ever really needed help, all I, I know all I got to do is ask. And right. That's a huge value add. May, what's your experience? But I, I guess we are your, lead investor at this point we have the largest percentage ownership after you that's correct yeah so how has that been when you send an update to them do they respond what kind of responses do you appreciate maybe you can give us an anecdote without saying the person's name of something that's maybe contributed to the success right. of lead iq 100 percent. like very similar to um, what chase was saying right um the people in the syndicate they're very helpful when when i send the um the updates the investor updates usually i have an ask like if um, you know anyone who can uh, benefit from Lead IQ, please help us with an intro. 
And these people just reach out. Hey, I know someone who works at this company. I know someone who works at that company, and that that has really helped us. And we got into some big companies that way too. Ah, so yeah. literally, the syndicate members who may be putting in two to ten thousand dollars will then send you to a customer who might spend ten to a hundred thousand dollars in their lifetime. Exactly, that's right. huge. Yeah. Uh, Henry, you have a very notable uh, investor in Matthew Della Vidova. Mm. Uh, the, just tweeted today. Who just tweeted today? I saw. I guess he's in town for the Warriors yeah. game. Tell us what it's like. What's it like to have celebrity investors? Does he? Is he going to take you to a, a, a basketball game, and, uh, or um, do you get to meet him sometimes at the machine? And has he reached out? Uh, I haven't you? actually met him yet. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. He just goes to the machine and tweets. Yeah, it for you. yeah. He didn't, Fantastic. He didn't tell me he was here, but I would have definitely, you know, went yeah. to meet him. Although, I, yeah. I'm a little sick, so yeah. <laughs> maybe there's a Please bad Please don't time. get him sick. And <laughs> time to go He needs him. to be out there with the Greek freak and uh, <laughs> right. winning games for um, Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, uh, we, we've had a great experience with the syndicate. Everyone tries to be super helpful. I think the really interesting thing is we've gotten a lot of requests for people who want to franchise Cafe X uh -huh. or license it outside yeah. of the U.S. Um, through syndicate, like, you know, to people in the syndicate. Um, Which makes sense because if you're a syndicate member, you're part of the 5% of the country that's accredited. Accredited mm -hmm. means you have a million dollars in net worth, I believe, or 200000 a year in income for two straight years or the past two years. I think that's the current definition. So these are, by definition, rich people. Yeah the top 5% mm -hmm. economically of the United States, which means, or and around the world, that they would have the ability to maybe buy the machine or know somebody who would put it into the lobby. So that's, right. a, that's a huge upside for you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just really great for, you know, finding new locations or, you know, people who want to fund opening a new location. Fantastic. Yeah. On that, on that note, a fair number of your syndicate members have invested directly in the cannabis industry, whether it's through a producer, processor, retailer. And so... We, I mean, we've made a fair number of connections just through people that have invested directly in the industry through your syndicate. Amazing. Well, you know, it's been a great, um, it's been a great joy to watch the three of you become some of the highest performing companies in our portfolio. And on behalf of the team and the syndicate members, we appreciate the effort you put in. Uh, nobody gets there alone. It takes a team. Uh, I have a team that backs me of 14 people, so I appreciate them uh, for doing that, including Emmy Warburg and producer Jackie, but Jason DeMott, who runs the Accelerator now, uh, and Ashley, who runs um, the syndicate itself. And so we have a team supporting you, but you're also supporting us, because if you actually make this work and you return 10, 50, 100, or in the case of an Uber or a Robinhood, 500 or 5,000 X to our investors, that will enable them to invest more. And that'll enable the confidence and trust in our ability to pick companies like yours. So we pick companies just as uh, we wrap up here. A lot of people want to know how we make our decisions. We really want people who take the work seriously. And what you saw today uh, with Chase and May and Henry is exactly my type of founders. The founders who take the work seriously, uh, who go to work every day, and they grind it out. It's not going to be easy. If you're thinking that a startup's going to be high fives and just easy every day, th these three founders uh, will tell you most days are hard and arduous. And the days that are not hard and arduous, they just suck. And <laughs> they're just brutal, right? It is a range of brutal to hard. And the reward you get for being the CEO of these companies is that all the smartest people you can hire bring you the problems that they're unable to solve. That's how hard it is. But you might wind up changing the world and you might wind up building a company uh, that becomes legendary. And I think in the case of Cafe X, Kush, and Lead IQ, we're off to a great start. They have now become part of the top third of our portfolio. They've got the K 
cash in the bank to go change the world. They've got the leadership teams being built out, and they've got the customers who they're delighting. Com you know, startups, they seem very complex, uh, and there are many complex aspects to them. But the thing that's not complex is, uh, and it's pretty straightforward, you build a great team, and you build a great product, and you listen to your customers. If you look at these three companies, Cafe X, Cushion, Lead IQ, they build great teams, they build great products, and they're listening to their companies. You're pretty good friends with Elon, right? Elon Musk? Yeah. You've met him a couple times. You've met him a couple times? <laughs> We're I good think, friends. I think we might have to smoke this joint in support of old Elon. Oh, on, the, uh, on the podcast? I think We've so. never had anybody blaze a doobie on the podcast, but if you would like to blaze the doobie, I'm not going to recommend anybody else hit it, but you can... Well, it's you, Friday, right? It's it Friday, It is Friday. Right? You can hit it like Elon Musk. I just got to make it the, down to LA by like... Yes, this will be a first for this week in startups. Our first, we're, we're blazing a doobie for Elon hitting a new all-time stock high. Is this, I hope this is uh, not breaking any federal law. Don't, it's legal here. It's Everybody legal. smokes weed. And just so you know, this all set up. It's not actually a real doobie. That's a um, tobacco. It's just plain tobacco. Uh, we'll see you all next time on This Week in Startups. Bye-bye.